when your back is against a wall and you have nowhere else to go and you are facing circumstances that will overwhelm you and will disappoint you and will take away all your hopes and dreams of tomorrow, remember this, forsaking all I trust him. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Over the last few Sundays, we have been spending our Sunday mornings in the Old Testament book of Ruth. If you have your Bible with you this morning, can you turn with me please to Ruth chapter 4 as we read verses 1 through 13 of Ruth chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. And when the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend. And sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to her brother, Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this the kinsman redeemer said, Well, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are my witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Mahlon. I also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Mahlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today, you are my witnesses. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his word. Two or three weeks ago, I said studying the book of Ruth is like going into a sports restaurant at lunchtime. Up on this wall, there's a large screen TV. And do you remember I mentioned this some weeks ago? And there is a European soccer match on. And then on another large screen TV, there's an NFL game. And the patrons every now and again were, oh, ooing and eyeing over the unfolding drama on the screen. And then up here on a third screen, 
screen was a television newscast with breaking news. And studying the book of Ruth is a little like that because you've got to keep your eye on three developing screens all at the same time. Screen one is the story of Ruth and Naomi. Screen two is the developing relationship with Boaz. And screen three, and the breaking news, is the one I don't want you to forget. Because screen three is not focused on Naomi. It's not focused on Ruth. It's not focused on Boaz. It is focused on the Lord and what he is doing. So as we come to chapter 4, bear in mind the three screens. Try and keep your eye on them all at the same time as we come to, as we've said already, the climax of the book. Now it begins with those wonderful words. Meanwhile, Boaz went to the town gate and sat there. Now it starts with meanwhile because the end of chapter 3 is Ruth and Naomi having a conversation. Naomi, the mother-in-law, has been plotting and planning and scheming and praying and doing all she can to get Boaz and Ruth together. Eventually Boaz agrees and so when Ruth goes back after the drama of meeting with Boaz, she begins to tell Naomi all that's happening. And then in chapter 4, meanwhile... Please hear me when I say this. That word meanwhile in many ways summarizes chapter 4. And Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and he sat there. Let me pause for a second. In your mind, don't imagine a town gate to be similar to a garden gate. Maybe four feet wide, five feet high. You simply open it, you step into the garden, you close it behind you. Have in your mind a town gate that is maybe 18 or 20 feet wide with an arch at the top and passing traders and merchants would come in through that gate with donkeys and horses and camels. And as you go through the gate into the town, there is an enlarged area where often early in the morning merchants would arrive setting up their wares for the day on the other side you might have some beggars in the town simply trying to uh, at least draw attention of the morning traffic and get some spare change in order that they might eat through the day and it wasn't only set up for commerce and business but it had a civic function as well And if you had problems with your neighbor Jacob, and Jacob had a a property dispute line with you, you and Jacob would meet with the town elders just inside the gate, and you would talk through the issue, getting, in many respects, counsel and wisdom and advice, and you would agree on the terms of what you've discussed and That's how business functioned in Bethlehem back then. Small town, people knowing one another, and that was how life operated. Now, having said all of that, in your mind, envisage Boaz getting up that morning, thinking this morning, I am at last putting this to rest. It is time this was dealt with. And he gets up, washed, dressed, is making his way to the town gate. The mist from the surrounding hill country in Judea is lifting. He can see the merchants setting up, beggars arriving. He makes sure he's early in order to get a seat so he can meet with the other kinsman redeemer. 
Now, there were two kinsmen redeemers. The first is anonymous. We don't know his name. He had closer relationships with Naomi and her husband, Elimelech. And then Boaz is next in line. Now, Boaz has got to sit down, lay before the other kinsman redeemer all of the possibilities and options of what it means to purchase the land. Then you're responsible for Naomi and also for Ruth. And if you do that, you're taking a great deal on. Then that bargain has to be, or at least the deal has to be agreed on. Then they exchange sandals and the elders are witnesses to the whole event. Now, if you're anything like me, I wonder if you've been tempted to have a quiet word with Boaz. See, now, Boaz, stop a second. Let's think about this. Let's not run before we can walk. Boaz, is it reasonable to say that over the last few weeks, as Naomi and Ruth have come into your life, you've been praying about this? And you imagine Boaz saying yes. Then you say, now, did the Lord not bring Ruth to work in your field at just the right time? Well, I suppose, yes, I suppose so. And did you and Ruth not strike up a friendship? Did you not show generosity and thoughtfulness and kindness to Ruth and Naomi? Yes. Were you impressed with her as an individual? Yes, she showed remarkable courage and strength, dedication. Talk about perseverance, picking yourself up after having lost a husband and then Naomi, losing a husband and two children. And they had enough perseverance, gumption to get their life back together. Well, yes. Well, Boaz, I'm not sure going to the town gate is the way to go. Why don't you simply approach Naomi, ask for Ruth's hand in marriage. She's the nearest she has as a living relative. Find a rabbi, go on honeymoon for two weeks after you get married, and then come back and worry about the land and the sale and all of that stuff. Boaz, show a little creativity. Take the initiative. Be a man. Take the bull by the horns. Take action. Make it happen. Don't bother about it. He'll be there when you come back from your honeymoon. But not for Boaz. Chapter 2 of Ruth begins. Boaz, a man of some standing. And we've seen throughout the book of Ruth that Boaz prays. And he's a man of character. And he's a man of integrity. And Boaz understands this cardinal principle in the Christian life. And it's this. That behavior always, always, always follows belief. And Boaz knows what it means to be exposed to the love and grace and goodness of God. He's had a relationship with him for many years and Boaz knows this, that regardless of the circumstances around me, regardless of the logic and the rationale and the persuasion of others, I will do what is right. Not what is convenient, but what is right. Commitment to Ruth and Naomi matters. 
And in order for me to have a future with Ruth, in order for me to be a man of integrity and character, I have to function and do things right according to what's laid down in the law of God. And that's exactly what Boaz does. He doesn't go for convenience. He doesn't try to cut corners. He does what is right. Now remember, Boaz fully understands that this other kinsman redeemer may well say, I will buy the land and I am willing to take on the responsibility of Naomi and Ruth. Now that's the worst possible scenario for Boaz. But he's willing to take that risk. And here's the other side of that same coin. If Naomi and Ruth are the ladies we think they are, they will applaud and support Boaz for what he's doing. Because they understand that lifetime of commitment is never based on convenience. It's based on commitment. That's the point. It's not convenience. It's commitment. It is often the harder way. And ladies, please hear me. Gentlemen, hear me as well. If you are thinking of getting married, understand the significance of what you're about to do. It is about character and integrity in personal life and in business life and in relationship. It comes together as one. Boaz knew the risk he was taking. And please understand this. Boaz is doing what we have seen modeled over the last five Sundays. His back is up against the wall. He could lose everything and everyone that he has fallen in love with. But he understands this principle. And this is the second principle I need you to get down. We have touched on it several times over the last Sundays. And it's this, that when your back is against a wall and you have nowhere else to go and you are facing circumstances that will overwhelm you and will disappoint you and will take away all your hopes and dreams of tomorrow, remember this, forsaking all I trust him. Forsaking all I trust him. That was the character of Boaz. And so when he arrives on that morning, he finds himself a seat. When the other kinsman redeemer comes in, notice it, verse 1, Boaz says, come over here, my friend, sit down. And so he went over and sat down. And you better believe Boaz had a commanding presence. Not only was he saying, come and sit down, he turns to 10 of the elders and says, come and sit down. He was a man of standing. He was respected. And so Boaz explains what's taking place. And then just for a second, it all seems to fall apart. Boaz explains what's happening. And then towards the middle of verse 4, he says, But if you will not, that is, redeem the land and take on Naomi and Ruth, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. And then I think to Boaz's shock, the man says, I will redeem it. 
And do you wonder if for that fraction of a second, Boaz thought, oh, what have I done? All my hopes, all my dreams, everything I wanted, oh. But seeming disaster is, in fact, redeemed. And Boaz, with quick thinking, said, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabites, remember... You acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And at this, the kinsman redeemer said, Well, now, Boaz, just run that by me again. You can understand why he would do it. That's a huge responsibility. Just explain that to me. Now, I'm not quite up in this kinsman redeemer thing. Just take me through that step by step by step. And Boaz does. And the man immediately says, I'm sorry. I will not endanger my own estate. Then Boaz turns to the elders and says, please be witnesses this day that I have purchased the land belonging to Elimelech in order to continue the name of not only Elimelech, but his wife, Naomi, and their family. I am willingly taking on the responsibility of Ruth the Moabites. And then as you read further into the chapter, the passage we didn't read, jump down to verse 13. You have a wonderful summary passage. And so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. And may he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given birth. Then in verse 16, then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. And the woman living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. What a wonderful way to finish the book of Ruth. Just spectacular. Here is God bringing to pass his purpose and his will, and all is well. And we've learned, of course, about Obed being a man of character and prayer and integrity. We learn the importance of doing it right, the significance of commitment over convenience. And we also learn this, that in the midst of a crisis... Who you are is revealed. And that was certainly the case for Boaz. The crisis didn't make him the man he was. It simply revealed who he was. And he was clearly a man of prayer and grace and character and integrity, as we've mentioned. Now, here endeth the book of Ruth. Except... Over here is screen number three. We've been focusing on Ruth and Naomi. We've been focusing on Boaz. But over here, God is still at work. And the question is, well, what is still to be done? Because Ruth and Naomi and this lovely little family are in for a spectacular future with Boaz, who is kind and gracious and thoughtful and sensitive, and he will look after them, and it will be a perfect match of these two widows, strong, dedicated, persevering ladies. It's a marriage made in heaven. And you're right, it is a marriage made in heaven. Because heaven begins to shade the picture right at the end. 
And they said, Naomi has a son. They didn't say Ruth has a son. They said, Naomi had a son. And you can imagine Naomi as a grandmother for the first time, receiving family who come and visit, and she can't wait to lift up this wee boy whom she will teach to sing and teach to form words and speak and nursery rhymes and tell them all sorts of stories and love this wee boy. She will help him bake cookies and play with mud and worms in the yard and he will do all sorts of gross things and never wipe his nose and he'll be slobbering and he'll put his hands all over her and he will piddle on the floor and she will love every minute of it. Because it's her grandchild. Now do you remember way back in chapter 2 and 3 we said this. That Naomi in returning to Bethlehem remembered the love of God. There was a special word used there. It was hesed. Hebrew word. H-E-S-E-D. Do you remember what it means? It means that when God enters into a covenant relationship with his children, it is a relationship so strong that it is an unbreakable personal relationship with God. And he will keep that relationship whatever the cost to himself. And of course, he does it all the way to Calvary. That's how deep and real and transformative his love is. And it's the love of God that finishes chapter 4. Because our temptation is to think this, that God works with one person at one time in one place. And that's been our focus these last five or six Sundays But that's not how the book of Ruth ends. Notice how it ends. It ends with a list of people. And our temptation is, we don't really know these people. They're not our relatives. They lived the best part of 900 years ago and older, and we don't know them. Let me read the list. Perez, the father of of Hezron. Follow it with me. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. And some of you are already there in your mind that I'm not reading from Ruth. I'm reading from Matthew And the question is, why is there the identical list of names in Ruth and then in Matthew? And it's there in Matthew because it's the gateway to the New Testament. It's a list of people who are seemingly insignificant and instantly forgettable, but not in the purposes of God Because if there was no Obed, there is no Jesse. And if there is no Jesse, there is no David. And if there is no David, there is no Christ in Bethlehem. And can you see what God was doing? 
while we were focused on his incredible love, eternal in nature, filled with grace, on this young family, God was writing a theological symphony that would blend in and out all of redemptive history. And he had his eye on what? The salvation of humanity. It was never simply about Ruth and a love affair with Naomi. Wonderful and spectacular as it was, it was so much greater than that. And this week, when you find yourself with your back up against a wall, you can do this and be confident of it. Forsaking all, I trust him. Do what is right. Follow his call. Be obedient to him. Submit and surrender every aspect of your life to him once again so that his rule and his reign may be so much greater than you can ever imagine. And that is a biblical principle for us as individuals. It's a biblical principle for us as a church. It's a principle for us as a community, and it's a principle for us as a nation. Forsaking all, we trust him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this wonderful story of Ruth. Thank you for its impact upon our lives and help us this week to live out our faith in the messiness and distraction of our daily lives in order that we might grow in our love and appreciation of you. Father, bless us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Presbyterian Church of Greenville invites you to a celebration of freedom as we worship and thank God for our spiritual liberty. Services include favorite anthems and hymns and a message by Dr. Richard Gibbons.